Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Thursday, July 16th, 2020. And it is time, donks, for Morning Combat. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo, the man on the other side of the screen. You know from CBS Sports, as well as this show, The Conspiracy to My Theory, the one and only Brian Campbell. Brian, I know there was a ban on blue-ticked Twitter accounts last night, but I didn't see you doing a whole lot of tweeting about the uh, fights last night. Where were you, buddy? I was, uh, you know, you ever see the movie... uh Clockwork Orange, where they had the eyes, you know, kept open like that, Luke. That was where my hands were, trying to stay up till 1.30 a.m. Eastern time for that card. I know, a lot of wine in here from an East Coast boy here. But uh, UFC this week, man, Fight Island, they got us living life, you know, a quarter mile at a time like Prime Dom Toretto because uh, they're, they're producing the contact, content and we're staying up late for it. They certainly are. A uh, couple of housekeeping notes, and we'll get this going pretty quickly. This is just an episode of Morning Combat Extra. A little bit more relaxed, BC. A little bit more, you know, free form. So we appreciate everyone who's watching. Please give the video a thumbs up and hit that subscribe button if you've not already done that. Send this video to a friend or an enemy. Just send it around. We don't really care who it goes to at this point. Yeah, spread, it, spread it like an STD, uh, Luke, because the deal is we are the combat freaks. We like the girls with a boom. I mean... I would speak for both of us and say we'd be willing to get busy in a Burger King bathroom. No condoms, no masks, just straight, you know, yeah. to the point. Uh, also, we always plug it. We have merchandise. You can go to store.show.com. Morning combat hats, t-shirts, hoodies, tumblers, mugs, the whole nine yards. If you're interested, please go get it. And, of course, if you'd like to try Showtime, you certainly can. Go to Showtime.com for a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. But why would you want to do that, BC? I couldn't yeah, imagine trying Showtime for 30 days and saying, it's not good enough for me. At the very least, try it for that outcry, Doc, because I'm fired up about it. You think one day we could get GK in this, uh, in this piece here? I would love uh, if, to chat with that man. I'll right? tell you what. We're going to figure out how much... We're going to figure out our standing in this company. If they can make it happen for us with uh, GK, we'll know exactly where we are. But uh, I guess a, a discussion for a different time. Okay, BC, let's get this going, man. So last night we had the second of two, uh, I think it was the uh, second of four cards that are going to happen at Fight Island. It was Cater versus Ige. Let me just read the result here if I can for folks who may have missed it or just to go over it as a point of um, uh, order. Two scores of 49-46, 148-47, Cater defeats Ige. I had it 49-46. I gave the second round to Dan Ige, but I'll go with uh, yeah, I'll go with you first, BC. Before we talk about the implications of the fight, what did you make of the fight itself? Uh, look, it had potential to be fireworks. Two top 10 featherweights. You mentioned the implications, right? You had an opportunity to really catapult yourself to the front of the line in the title picture with an impressive enough performance given the inactivity within that top 10 and, you know, the overall quarantine reality. I don't feel like it lived up to the, you know, excitement expectations. Neither did the entire main card with every fight going the distance. But it was still a solid effort from Calvin Cater, who showed us that he's a class above a red-hot Dan Ige who came in with a six-fight win streak and really showed us, Luke, I think, with his takedown defense, with his patience, with his five-round stamina, with the heavy striking that we know him for and the technique 
that he's pretty much a complete fighter who's ready for for you know all the smoke, if you will. Uh, shout out to Showtime there uh, <laughs> at the top of this division. He was the better fighter. He didn't push the pace and go for the knockout per se like we've seen. And I think both guys were a bit leery not to gas out in their first real five round showcase. Ige had never gone five rounds, and for Cater, you know, he hadn't been there since like 2009, back in the regional days. So. You didn't see the full package of what they were able to do because there was a little bit of a safety being played. But in the end of the day, man, Cater overcomes the, uh, the, the the middle fingers being twisted in opposite directions and overcame really, you know, getting his nose busted up in that second round in which you mentioned I thought Ige won as well to be the better fighter. And I think the conversation is where it is. He's a true elite, Calvin Cater. I don't know if I would favor him per se against the... You know, from Yair to Zabit to, uh, you know, Korean Zombie and Ortega in between. But he's in that group. He belongs. Yeah, I think he beats one of those guys, maybe even two. Which ones and how, I don't know, right? So to your point, he certainly belongs in that group. Exactly how he pairs with them, I'm not entirely sure. As for the fight itself, you know, um, I'm with you. It's like, look, man, they can't all be Poirier versus Hooker, and that's okay. It was a perfectly fine, I'd say even good fight. I'm not here to bash it at all. Was it epic? No, it wasn't. It wasn't Clash of the Titans, but it was serviceable to certainly appropriate choices, I thought, for a UFC main event. Dan Ige really has just transformed himself, and uh, Calvin Cater, I think, is now revealing the depths of his game. The thing that stuck out for me was he won the first round, but he was still a little bit of a slow starter. It's something he has mentioned to me that's been a bit of an issue for him. It didn't cost him, I didn't think, the first round. But you, you mentioned like maybe like against a Yair Rodriguez who's going to come out firing. That still might, right? So it wasn't a liability here per se, but it could still be a liability going forward, especially against a Josh Emmett. If he gets right, that's another one. You sort of look at it you're like, eh. Uh, on the other hand, by the fifth round, he was commanding distance. He was dictating the offense. He had found his groove. Uh, Ige was sort of just trying anything he could, you know, spamming him with offensive maneuvers. And, and at that point, he had had an answer for everything. Also, it was kind of revealing that like Ige would get cracked, and you knew he got cracked when he would shoot for a takedown right afterwards. Like yeah. he didn't. Uh, he didn't really kind of have a much of a poker face in that regard. I'm not saying that these are easy shots to take. I'm just saying it was kind of noticeable. And the, I think the other thing I'd say, though, is like Cater, man, he is, he is talented. He is really, really talented. If he could get his volume, BC, a little bit higher, get, his, get going a little bit earlier, and defense just a little bit tighter, because it seems to me he's still a little bit of like, He's too smart to be a bite-down-on-the-mouthpiece guy, but he's still got a little bit of that dog in him. The more he can get rid of those instincts and build upon his smarts, I think that will dictate how far he goes in this division. Yeah, he's a bit of, tw of a tweener in that regard, but he's rounding out his game. And look, a little bit of a late starter. He's 32. He only came to the promotion just a handful of years back. He's put it together in a short time. Now four wins in five fights. The only loss to Zabit, but as we know, of course, he pushed him late in that third round and showed you that, you know, had that been a title fighter or a five-rounder, maybe he's the one with the momentum at that point. Oh, uh, Here's what's interesting. You know, he's not going to blow away, I don't think, the upper crust like he was able to do to get to this point. I mean, you know, the knockout of Burgos, the violent finish of Jeremy Stevens, strong wins in between that got our attention. So I think this fight in a lot of ways for him to test his five-round gas tank and rely more on his technique 
will be more helpful for him in the long run because you can't expect to walk in there against a Max Holloway or Volkanovski and think, all right, you know, I play my game and I can stop him in a round and a half. It's just not going to happen. I do think for Ige, though, he found his ceiling, right? He found out how good he can be. He can rip off six in a row against increasingly good competition. And obviously the Barbosa fight was a tough one. He rallied. He showed us a lot. But look, I saw a guy who was a little bit nervous about the five-round distance and didn't want to, you know, have a, a dangerous situation late that it prevented Dan Ige from doing ultimately what he does best. He had a size disadvantage. He had a bit of a technique disadvantage. He wasn't able to go full bore and just pepper and bring it with the in and out attack that we're used to really from the beginning of the third round on. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. I look at the rankings here. These are not updated. So these are what they were last night. We'll see how they change. Ige was sitting at 10, Stevens at nine, Emmett at seven, tied for seven is Edgar. Calvin Cater sitting at six, Rodriguez at five, Korean Zombie four, Ortega three, Zabit at two, and then Max Holloway at one. I don't know exactly what it's going to do for Cater because he beat someone in the top ten, but it was literally number ten. I don't know if Ige will drop out. He might. He might. It's hard to say exactly because I don't know what the ones behind him are going to be doing, which is Allen, Burgos, Ryan Hall, Sadiq Youssef, and Jose Aldo. But I have to say, you see Ryan Hall and Youssef move inside that top 10, you've got basically an entire turnover of a division from five years ago, almost. Not quite, because Holloway would have been in there and a couple other ones, Chan Sung Jung. But still, uh, and for the most part, it's incredible how good 145 is. It's not as good as 135, and it's not as good as 155. And so I think for those reasons, BC, it gets lost a little bit. But I was just sitting back marveling at this. I was like, wow, man, look how good the striking is here. So I went back and I watched uh, a couple of fights this morning from the very first Ultimate Fighter finale, right? Sort of the first sort of real breakout moment on Spike TV. Oh my God, dude. It's a completely different sport. So it's just nice to see how good MMA striking has been generally. And I just want folks to realize 35 is phenomenal, 55 is phenomenal. I would argue both are better than 145. But just because they're better than 145 doesn't mean 145 isn't a fantastic division. Yeah, look at that top seven. I mean, it's all killer, no filler. And in your point about the evolution of striking, well-rounded game, uh, that's why I'm comfortable saying the lightweight group we have right now is the deepest and best division in history, even better than that glorious run at light heavyweight when John Jones first came on the scene and there were all those Hall of Famers still around. But back to Cater quickly. You know, he did the right thing and sort of said, hey, uh, Volkanovski's looking for a dance partner for later this year. You know, I'm active. I'm ready. I'm that guy. It's certainly very unlikely. But let's look again quickly at that top 10. Emmett's not going to be fighting for a while due to injury. Stevens just lost. Frankie Edgar's not even in that division anymore. And then you have those four or five guys that we mentioned more deserving than Cater. But they haven't fought yet this calendar year. And with the uncertainties of the quarantine... It's unlikely, of course, that Cater slides in there, but you do never know with injuries and guys pulling out. I think the more likely direction, the one I hope to see, Luke, is to be in there as the next title challenger against Volkanovski, maybe around December. When you consider that Cater's this red hot and Zabit just recently beat him, God, that's a great matchup. And then if that happens, then would you prefer anyone in that grouping of inactive guys for Cater? Would you prefer a Yair to a, a comebacking Ortega? Where, where are you at with that? If it's a five-round fight, which I think really matters, because as you recall, the Zabit fight, Cater was turning it on late, and then it just ended in the third round. You're like, ugh, 
Like, what would I, th- I really believe that would have been a different fight over five rounds? We don't know that, but certainly it's worth speculating in that direction. But I like the Rodriguez fight for all the reasons I mentioned previously. He's got a completely different style of striking, something of a different body type to a degree, and different tempo, different things he looks for. It's a real test for either guy because you have trickery and cleverness with Cater, but more inside the traditional framework of here's what works in boxing and here's what doesn't. Let's add a little bit of individual personality, whereas Rodriguez is just all flair with a little bit more of that center traditional things that work. And so they're right next to each other. As you mentioned, Emmett would have been the better choice, I think, but because as you indicated, he's out for a little while. So to me, it's a Cater-Rodriguez fight. I think that's the one to make. And the winner of that moves up because they've got sitting, they've got at three Brian Ortega. I understand why Brian Ortega is widely regarded as one of the top featherweights. I'm not saying that in my mind I don't think of him very highly, but he hasn't fought in almost two years. Calvin Cater has fought, what, four times in the last year? Dan Ige, last night, you see, that was his fifth fight in a calendar year. Now, Ige lost. I'm not saying he deserves to be ahead of Brian Ortega. I'm just saying... There's got to be something to be said in these rankings for activity, and they don't properly reflect that in my view. Thank you. Is it about time now? I mean, this is MK Extra. There's no rules here. We're stripped this thing down. We can, I, can talk, I can talk about anything I want right now, Luke. Is it time oh, we get a little it. nervous about where Brian Ortega is at this point? I mean, we used to have a rule at ESPN. We have it now at CBS Sports. When you're doing a pound-for-pound pound or a divisional ranking, if a guy hasn't been there for a year and he doesn't have a fight scheduled or there's not, you know, close to making a big fight, he's out of the rankings. I know that doesn't apply to UFCs, but every day that goes by, we get a little bit more nervous about Ortega, who, let's not forget, yeah, he lost to Max Holloway in that fight, but, man, he was willing to die in there. He brought everything he had, and it was promising as a build to the future. Lately, Luke, I know you hate when I say things like this, but Ortega's gotten more action rolling around with Halle Berry than he has inside an octagon, so hopefully we can see him back soon. Uh, last thing about this, I mentioned the five fights that Ige had in a calendar year. I think his right eye was swollen completely shut. He took a picture for social media. And you mentioned Cater's nose. Cater busted that up. I actually interviewed him after the Jeremy Stevens fight. And he was telling me that the plane ride home after the Stevens fight was completely miserable because one, his nose was broken. He didn't get it, or, or if not broken, just you know, badly hurting, right? Whatever the issue was. And both of his eyes were black as a consequence of the nose. So probably, let's say it was probably broken. One, he wasn't going to get it addressed until he went back to Boston. So it was just bothering him generally. Two, he had to wear a mask over it and kind of breathe through it on a plane. So you have the just lingering issue with pressurization issues with the mask on top. He said it was truly a miserable plane ride. Now, I'm sure it healed some before this, but this is interesting, right? You have all these people who were like, I wish I could get as many fights as Cerrone. And I'm sure on some level that is true, and I'm sure some will perform better if they can get four, five, even in certain cases, six fights in a calendar year, but I also think they're beginning to realize you're at the kind of the limits of these things. Five, five UFC fights is not the same as five regional fights. Very, very different, both in length and difficulty, the training camp that goes into it, the lingering in- injuries that come out of it. Even Volkanovsky from six months ago was saying that his right leg was still hurt in the fight with this max. So I'm just pointing out, I wonder when, I don't know if there's a bubble exactly, BC, but... Yes, I think fighters are happy to have more activity, but I also think they're discovering that can only take you so far. 
Well, I'm glad you brought that up quickly because I had talked to Dan Ige a couple days before that fight, and he he thought you know his mindset was what was going to separate him from Cater, and part of that mindset he says is I'm an opportunist. I'm willing to fight you know tough matchup one after another, a couple months apart, because that window can close, and if you're ready and you're fresh from having just recently been in a fight, that'll help him. But you know, you almost wondered if last night was a little bit too much of that. You still saw the underlying, you know, bruises on Ige's face from his last outing against Barbosa, or maybe they came during training camp. Hard for me to gauge that, but he just looked, look, it was a fight that he was the underdog for a reason. He didn't win it. You just wonder, Luke, wh where that limit is on overactivity and taking too many hard chances in a short period, preventing you from being your freshest. It's a tough oh. balance, okay? You also mentioned something that we'll use as we move down the card here. You mentioned, and quite rightly, the main card, all decisions, which doesn't mean all bad fights, but certainly all decisions. Prelim card, all finishes. So the guys at Fightmetric have been working on some data as UFC has gone to UFC Apex about what can we say about the small cage and how it changes things. And what they found early, and again, there's a lot more research that has to go into this, is that there are more finishes in the small cage from the Apex sample that we have already but it's weird. It doesn't really show up on the main card. It's mostly a function of finishes on the prelim card. And why would that be? Maybe guys on late notice, guys from the regional scene, maybe mismatches. But then there's also this problem of, well, what is the difference between the, the first two fights uh, outside of the main card, like the, you know, the last two prelims, and then the main card itself? Sometimes nothing. Sometimes there really is no qualitative difference. So more data has to show up. It's just funny now, BC. We're back to the big cage and that pattern all finishes, all decisions in that order from prelim to main, it still showed up. So I wonder how much of it is not a function of the small cage per se, but rather this weird situation where there's a lot of people like, do we watch this sport for a living? There was a lot of people I was just introduced to last night. And we're seeing that oh, over yeah. these cards, both at Apex and Fight Island, they're giving the nod for, to a lot of people off the regional scene. And I think it's sort of changing what we understand about UFC fights. So more study, I think, is needed. Yeah, and it's not lost on me that you can make the same argument, what is too much morning combat at the same time? I know I'm a little washy today and bloated and just feeling <laughs> like a rag doll. If we ever, you know, if someone ever pays us a lot of money to bring it MK Daily style, I may have to turn my life around and get in training camp for this. Yeah, well, we both of us are going to have to, uh, you know, uh, kick it into high gear. All right, very quickly, let's go to this co-main event. Tim Elliott taking on Ryan Benoit. Wins 29-28 across the board. Um, I didn't understand some of the on-screen. I was with Daniel Cormier on this one. They were like, oh, betting to win. Tim Elliott's, uh, or excuse me, uh, Benoit, is, uh, his chances are looking good. I'm like, Tim's winning this fight. Like, what are y'all talking about? Well, Why no, were let me stop you because this is interesting. I listened to the Luke Thomas show yesterday for the first time at length on Sirius. Wow. Like, I, my lease was up. I bought a new car. I was driving around the hilly back why roads. Why don't, you, why don't you tell the folks what Indigo Girls-inspired vehicle you oh, purchased how, to, first, so you could take all, the family to Lilith Fair? Right. Look, I've had crappy economy-efficient cars most of my adult life without you know, a lot of money. I didn't splurge on this, but I got a you know, 2020 Subaru, Subaru Crosstrek. It's, 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 for me, it's like driving a Mercedes. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm cheap, you know? So, uh, but I got the satellite radio, the sunroof, the leather seats, windows down. I'm driving through some mountainous back roads, and I'm giving Luke Thomas like 90 minutes of my time, and you almost were getting BC conspiracy theorist level on the Max Holloway-Volkanovsky rematch over the weekend 
and the timing of those tweets and who yeah. they were favoring. And I, you know, I appreciate the argu- the radio argument you gave that they were so overwhelming in the favor of Holloway early. You mix that with Michael Bisping's commentary, which was very Holloway heavy, and maybe that's starting to, you know, seduce the audience. It's no different than you're watching boxing on TV and the in-house scorer on the network has it in one direction and that leads you to believe that's who's winning are you trying to go a little bit further though and say there's any potential conspiracy there at all luke no i mean the argument i made you got it mostly right but you missed a key detail it wasn't merely i was arguing that bisping and by the way anik too and by the way listen here's the thing why why were people really upset that max didn't get the nod number one it was a close fight and he won the first two rounds so it's understandable they would think that he won Flat out. Number two, I thought the commentary, not in any kind of conspiratorial way, was just really complimentary of Max's efforts, and I can understand that. It just it is what it was. And then, as you indicated, the tweets, if I looked it up, they did not put up a positive tweet praising Max's effort until 3.42 of the fifth round. So Alex, for every Alex. moment before that, oh, sorry, uh, a, a, a positive of Volkanovsky's effort. So for round after rounds one, two, three, and four, and through ha- parts of five, it was just solid. Oh my God, Max looks great. Blah blah blah. And then the part you missed was that they kept showing data on the screen about the striking totals, and literally every time they did it, every single number was wrong, and not just wrong. Um, wrong in really important ways. Uh, Conspiracy alert. No, no, here's the thing. I talked to Fightmetric about it. What they said was they're get, they, they score fights in real time. Then when the fights are over, they go back over them and pick up on all the things that they missed because it's hard to catch everything in real time. Fair enough. But that should give you pause. I don't think the UFC was trying to be like, oh, let's make a case for Max to win because if they did, what good does that do? Everyone got pissed. All I'm simply saying is you have to be really careful when you're on these broadcasts because between the tweets and the numbers and the commentary, and by the way, Max doing really well, at the end, there's been all this messaging about how well he's done, and I wonder what the response would have been if those numbers had not been shown, and the tweets were a little bit more balanced, and the commentary a little bit more in between. I don't know, but I can't believe that that had nothing to do with people's impressions. I think that's the argument. So here. I thought you were a little harsh on Bisping, though, in terms of his commentary. I mean, look, the guy's got one eye. At the end of the day, he can't see everything, you know? <laughs> I, I thought Bisping did a phenomenal job in the Poirier and Hooker fight to the point where, to me, I'm not saying he made the fight, but I would not have been able to enjoy that fight as much as I did were it not for Bisping. And But here, the, the reality about this, we're getting a little bit sidetracked, which is, dude, Volkanovski and Holloway, when they fight, it is extremely difficult to understand what they're doing, even for the most advanced person, which I am not. And so I understand why the commentary went the way that it went. It's not, a, it's not, I don't know who could do that job much better. Maybe Cruz in DC, maybe, but even that is, they're going to go back and watch the first fight. It was Joe Rogan in DC. They missed a ton of stuff and that's DC. If even DC is going to miss a ton of stuff, nobody has a prayer. So it's less about that. It's just more about the occupational hazards of calling elite MMA. Dude, it's hard. It's super hard. And we have to sort of take inventory of what uh, those limitations and unconscious biases may mean in terms of on-screen messaging. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, uh, you can I make a case... You know, debate not to rehash your radio show, but I thought that was a fair debate you had where it is difficult in real time. I complain sometimes from press row that I have certain blockages that make my score 
whoever, whatever that matters, my score as a journalist, you know, easy to be criticized because somebody watching at home is watching replays or closer angles and all that. We've debated a lot about how you fix scoring. We did it on uh, Monday's Monday, uh, Morning Combat. I'm wondering after hearing lengthy debates, if the easiest quick fix without blowing up systems is just going to five judges for title fights only, right? Or, or main events. Title fights and main events only. You go to five judges, you throw out the two outlying scores, and you stick with the three in the middle. You should get a winner. Is that that hard? So I don't think that's crazy. Here was my idea. I don't know if you heard this part, but what I think is... I've often said I think we should judge fights as a whole versus the 10-point must system because I just don't feel like... The, 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 the criticism of the 10-point must system is that it's not accurate enough to reflect what's going on. And I don't think that changes with the way we score fights, which is to say the following. Look at fight metric. Their numbers they put out after a round, they know are not accurate. It's the most accurate that they can be, but there's clearly a huge gap between that and what they find out after the fact. And what, what sort of occurred to me when I was going, because I have a dissected coming out on Volkanovsky and Holloway, BC, and what occurred to me was I was going over these the tape over and over and over again. And I'll tell you, in the process of that, the case for Volkanovsky became a lot stronger. But then I thought, what does that even mean? Like, what does that matter? If it takes this much tape examination for me to understand something, how could I blame the judges you know, and I, I know they I know they got it for Volkanovsky, but I'm saying in a case where maybe you disagreed with them, how can you blame them? Because they don't have access to any of this stuff. So when folks are like, I'm going to fact check the judges, I'm going to get on my computer, and I'm going to look at this in slow motion, I always think to myself, I'm not saying you're not finding a more accurate picture, but you're not using any of the tools that judges have. Like, yeah, what are you going to, hold on, hold on, let me make this one point. Fixed. It's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. My point is this. If you find that the judges made a mistake, to me, that's like, yeah, of course they did. Fightmetric makes a mistake real time. They have to go back and fix it later. My idea is as follows, BC. For title fights and any five-round main event, judge it as normal. D don't change anything. If you lose in either of those cases via split, you should ask the commission to have one person expertly review it. They will review it know. and then give their recommendation to either uphold or to vacate the, the call. What do you think? Who wants to have sex with Matumbo? No, 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 no. Uh, look, what we don't want is any... Look, you know what I hate about the modern NBA? A lot. A lot about modern NBA. I'm sorry, i got to be the old guy over 40 who wants, you know, post-up basketball and pick and roll and doesn't want to see 103 shot per game. Wow, that sounded really old, didn't it? Anyway, yes, what I hate did. about the modern game is you can have this crazy buzzer beater moment and then we all have to pause and wait 10 minutes for, you know, the referees to get under the hood and, and rewatch it and make sure the right team won. And I know everyone's going to argue in that spot and say, don't you want the right team to have won? No, I want the moment. I want that big moment there of, you know, look, they got it wrong. They got it wrong. We'll check afterwards. I think that kills the excitement. It kills a lot of things. What you're pro, pro uh, what you're, you know, suggesting may have more elements of fairness to it. But nobody wants to watch a fight, have an outcome, and then know it potentially can change. And then there's elements of, you know, political connections and all that. Um, you need to have a winner confirmed when it ends. You know, look, my idea with an extra judge, extra judges just for title fights would at least protect the sanctity of a title fight. I think at the very least, whatever change you make, let's get it right on title fights first. But I don't like any idea of let's delay and have an appeal and maybe it can change or maybe there's an automatic rematch if it was a split decision. I don't want anything to do with that. Well, so here's why I, I understand that the need to do it quickly. So my other idea would be on top of that, any review would have to be done within 30 days. And again, that doesn't solve your problem specifically, 
but it at least you know puts a timeline on it, which I think would be better. But the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is I understand the impulse to say, well, we need a decision there and it has to stand. Right? It's so weird in the Olympics where someone gets a medal and then you find out you know eight years later, BC. They got a medal in 2008. Where was the games in 2008? They were in, was it London 2008? No, Beijing. 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 So, you know, you find out someone gets a gold medal in the Beijing games. Here we are at Rio, and they get stripped because, you know, they tested positive for something they discovered later. Yeah, and it's like, you can't for go. Ben Johnson, please. It's still real to me. Yeah. Well, you can't go back and undo that medal ceremony. It all still stands, right? So I, I understand that point. I think it's a fair concern. But here's what I'm saying two points. One, I don't think you can treat these things as glibly as saying well the result should stand because we need integrity of results i get it but that consequence for max is utterly enormous it is so huge that now he may never be in another title fight again i'm not saying that he won't be it's impossible but he has a tough road in front of him promotionally at 145 competitively at 155 i think that should matter the second thing i would say is you can't treat these results like an umpire calling balls and strikes in a game. Like people in baseball will say, you know, listen, the, every umpire has their own strike zone and a certain call can be consequential, right? Bases loaded, tie game, bot, or, you know, they're up by one or whatever, uh, and, you, you know, full count and you get called a strike when it was actually a ball. That one call can be consequential. But how many pitches are there in a game 100 150 200 right so it's just an aggregate you just say let it slide dude there aren't enough of these in fighting to just treat it like an umpire calling balls and strikes on some level they've got to get it right and here's my thing you are telling people to just look at something with no data no ability to review they have to turn in their scores immediately you can see that fight metric gets it wrong you can see judges after you review it get it wrong it's a terrible way to adjudicate dispute. It's awful. You have to have some kind of method to make sure they get it right when it's the, the most I'm with you. serious. I mean, I'm, I'm all for ed adjudication, but uh, let's 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 have a winner when the night ends and that's it stands. OK, so maybe maybe we got to go Dana White caveman and say uh, no decisions in title fights. You can't win the title. Unless it's a unanimous decision, I don't know. That's all bullshit, too. Look, Luke, let's just let's just get the title fights right. All right, two more judges, maybe one in front of a monitor backstage, blindfolded, smearing peanut butter, watching it in black and white on the screen. Whatever it takes, let's get this ish right. All right, and then uh, any thoughts on Tim Elliott's win? Nice win by him at flyweight, yeah. Uh, he needed it, dude. I know he signed a new deal, but recently, but you know, no one wants to lose four in a row, and he's better than that. He was in those fights that he lost. I thought, you know, you could have scored this for for Benoit. He landed some heavy punches, and you know, he was the he wasn't the aggressor, but he was the the bully in there when it mattered most. But look, they they rewarded Elliott's activity, and especially when that fight would go to the ground. You know, he's forever trying to get a submission. I don't like the choice to cut the mullet. It was very on brand for him to be that that wild uh, man. I don't know if he ever gets back to the title level. We saw him, you know, he gave a good effort against Demetrius Johnson at the tail end of that run, but he's going to be a tough out for everybody. He fights reckless. He's got a weird style. Uh, good win for him. He needed it. Uh, I, I don't like the mullet thing. I'm not down with it, so I like the haircut. Uh, all right, here's an interesting one. I feel like the fight took place at featherweight, but obviously it's between two bantamweights. Jimmy Rivera taking on Cody Stamen wins two 30-27s and one 29-28. Man, if there is one person at bantamweight who is elite and kind of forgotten, it's Jimmy Rivera. And I get it, right? He doesn't have the most scintillating highlight head kick knockout reel. He's not super, you know, 
calling out people on the mic, BC. That dude can fight his ass off. Cody Stamen is massively improved since relocating to Vegas. I thought it wasn't like Rivera was like way better than him, but you could just see Rivera was able to make better decisions, kind of dictated the offense eventually by the time the third round came around. Great takedown defense when he needed it. Great cage control when he needed it. He just He's just a complete fighter. And then afterwards, electing to use his time with John Anik to help out this woman who has been doing makeup, I think. Um, uh, Cindy, Susie. I forget her last name. Please forgive me. Uh, and she's a GoFundMe page, which I donated to BC. If you haven't done it yet, you should do that. Um, you know, just, just a class guy. And one of these guys had a Tiger Showman that people just don't think of when they think of like elite bantamweights that dude is elite and people should say it out loud his days at the top of that division are by no means over yeah and that i mean look he needed this win as well along with tim elliott and he got it and it, the good news for him is that wasn't even the best of him i mean the, he didn't have an opponent as recently as what four or five days ago he had been out for a lengthy time he had lost i mean look this is why we kind of forget about him his three losses in four fights after that huge start to his career right 21 and 1 when he looked like he was entering the title picture that'll make people believe you're not elite and then you know didn't he have a USADA hiccup too I'm not making that up right no I don't believe that's right but I don't I can't remember all right well you know he had things going against him to be the cool guy in the room right he's going bald he's got bad tats and he's got a grinder style but but you know he ground her he did believe me and he got it done the old-fashioned way uh technical work in the clinch uh workmanlike and, you know, he has to prove to us again that he can be elite. And I don't think anything that happened on Wednesday night, you know, goes against that. He's only going to get better the more active he gets again. You know, it was a featherweight bout, but it's two weights. And, you know, Stamen had the opportunity to make another good story onto a bad situation with losing his brother. But, you know, the better man won. And that's what you want. I have a funny Jimmy Rivera story. You want to hear it? Uh, yeah, come on. Jersey. Where was, I, where was I backstage for? What was the last UFC show at Barclays? Was that the one in January? The uh, the first that was that like, was that Dillashaw and uh, Cejudo that was that was that one right the first UFC on ESPN yeah Plus? but wasn't what year was that was that was that 2019 Dill yeah Dillashaw Cejudo yeah he, this yes that was the fight before he popped so I had had Jimmy Rivera on my show literally that week or maybe like the week before like literally days before okay and he comes backstage he was not fighting and uh, I wanted to just thank him for coming on the show because I had never been introduced to him in person. And I was like, hey, Jimmy, stuck my hand out to shake it. He shook it. And I was like, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I swear to God, he goes, you are? <laughs> I was like, uh, I'm the guy whose show you went on this week. Uh, my name is Luke. Thank you for coming on. He's like, you're Luke who? I'm like, I'm Luke Thomas. You were on my show. Just a, never mind. It's fine. Just thank you for coming on. So I was like, all right. I got Yikes. big time by Jimmy Rivera. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, that do? happens. Luke, I know you'd never shave the beard, but would you be interested in coloring your hair at all? I'm, I'm speaking for the people here. No, never. I don't care how stupid it looks. I'm not, I'm not coloring it. I don't say uh, it looks are, stupid. It, it looks educated and, and you know. I'm, I'm. Nah, it looks stupid. I mean, I've got gray, like uh, someone, you know who it was? You know Paul Lazenby? Like he did MMA and pro wrestling, right? Paul Lazenby, the Canadian guy, right? I hadn't heard you about know? him until you mentioned him on a previous show, but I know who he is now. Yeah, he said I looked like Peter Parker's boss. You ever seen Spider-Man's boss? Yep, yep. He's got the gray here and then the, and then the hair on top. Yeah, I look like Peter Parker's stupid-ass boss. I, I, I look like an idiot, I, and I know I do. I just don't care anymore. I'm too old. All right. Uh, All right. You've, hey, look, you've already secured the Punani, so you're, you're doing well. I don't know if we can Exactly. Like, who am I trying to impress anymore? All right, yeah. so at women's flyweight. All our listeners are, are male anyway, all right? So yeah. Okay. Have you right. seen our listeners? Yeah. I mean, 
Uh, you, me, and them, we are all garbage pail kids at this point. We yeah. should not, yeah. you know, we're not prize pigs. Okay. Talia Santos makes her debut against Molly McCann, winning 3.7 across the board. Don't have a lot to say, except Santos looked good, dude. She looked like she was in good shape. She was able she to take him out later, physically strong. She looked awesome. Yeah, she crushed that meatball like me, uh, you know, uh, for lunch with the footlong sub there. That was fantastic. For real, she she's 16-1. and one. I mean, I know this is, you know, her. she's early in her UFC run, but um, considering that Molly McCann was on a three-fight win streak and came in in much better shape than normal and was really sort of going for it, this was like one-sided. This was like, you know, professional and almost borderline amateur, and that's a compliment to Talia here. Luke, uh, you know, women's flyweight is so damn shallow. You got a pulse. You, you got $99 a pulse, and, and, and you got a job. You might be able to get a title shot soon against Shevchenko. And she showed a lot of those things that, like, you know, I don't want to say things like championship mindset, but there was a maturity to her. There was certainly length and technique and all that and toughness, but she looked like she belonged. So I want to see a lot more of her in a short period of time. Let's do it. Yeah, McCann came out with some fire and Santos shut it down. So that was a pretty impressive win. Now, the most impressive or at least fun fight on the main card, Munir Lazez against the returning Abdul Razak El-Hassan. It was, it was kind of weird on the broadcast. I mean, I get why they didn't want to bring it up. But they're like, you know, Munir Lizez has a really interesting story about fighting in the octagon. I'm like, yeah, so does Al Hassan. Uh, for folks who may not know, was arrested and then tried for rape um, and beat it, was fully exonerated. And here he is back. I think he lost a couple years of his career. Um, yeah, he's so going to he be was on back. episode six of Outcry on Showtime. <laughs> be on the lookout for it. Yeah, anyway, the Duke lacrosse team. Got it. Right. I didn't so, get fired for that, right? Let's keep going. Uh, please don't get us fired. Uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, dude, was, was well-known. Super firepower. A little bit, you know, kind of let's loose with some hooks, but major, major firepower. And dude, Lazez sat there and took it and then kept coming and kept coming to the point where he basically overwhelmed him, winning two 30-27s and one 29-28 where he was firing knees up the middle, those, those lead elbows over the top. He was pressing Al-Hassan back into the cage, stuffing takedowns. Dude, that kid, unbelievably ridiculous chin. And he looks like he's got some real ability, BC. Called out oh, Mike he's- Perry afterwards. I want to see it. Woo-ha, got you all in check. He is a violent MFer. Shout out to Northern Africa, uh, Tunisia there. But uh, it sucks for Al Hassan to, to fight, to make it that fun of a fight and not even get the bonus money because he missed weight coming in. But, you know, he almost had a finish. I mean, he almost took, you know, Laze's soul in the opening, uh, you know, minute there with that barrage. And unfortunately, it sort of gassed him to a degree and that opened the comeback. But to see a, a newcomer like that, you know, have such vicious strikes with the elbows, have a great chin, have a motor, and have sort of a, you know, a, in a good way, like a sadistic level to him. And like, I was coming for your soul. I didn't expect a Mike Perry shout out. Um, you know, you hear that story of how he even got to the UFC with, you know, they were playing it up on the broadcast with the teenage kid running up to Dana White and showing him the highlights on the phone. Like, that's that's the stuff that dreams are made of here. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for this guy. I don't, you know, tough to tell from a matchup like this really how good he is. But Al Hassan, Al Hassan, Al Hassan. Razak Al Hassan. What, what, what am I saying here? Uh, Al Hassan's tough. He's legit. Accurate. They don't. 
Fighters from Accra, Ghana, they can bang, okay? Let me bang, bro. And, you know, he did, and uh, I want to see a lot more of this guy. That's the best thing you could say, Luke, about cards like this. Not a deep card on paper, getting introduced to a lot of these people for the first time. Even with all these fights going to the decision, there's two fighters back-to-back -back we just mentioned I want to see more of. Uh, and I, I was shocked that fight went three rounds. I mean, Al Hassan was bombing on him in the first and was landing huge shots through the rest of the fight, and... Lazez was going to the body constantly. I thought for sure Al Hassan was going to gas. Nope. He stuck it out too, although he had missed weight and made a 174. So, to your point, couldn't get the uh, bonus when they got fight of the night. From the prelim card, BC, I won't go through every one of these. The, the couple that stand out to me, first of all, uh, Hamzat Chemaev, just absolutely running over John Phillips. And then, I don't know, did he call out somebody? I don't know, but that kid looks like the truth. Yeah, he yeah he had the uh, the the Sousa phone out there on John Phillips. Uh, fantastic job right there. I also like my Lithuanian brethren, uh, Modestis Bukalkis. Uh, <laughs> we can't say what his last name sounds like, but he passed it around, Luke, to to get a nice finish on uh, Andreas Mikolitis. Did you uh, what did you make of Bisping saying that it was that the, the so if, for folks who may not remember, uh, Mikolitis or Mikolitis whatever was trying to take down. Bukowskis against the fence and Bukowskis was doing those like curving elbows which most of them appeared to be legal maybe not all of them but most of them were and then the round ended there so he drops and the referee's like are you okay are you okay asked him multiple times not sure how many but at least three and then he kind of goes to sit and when he sits he kind of falls out of the cage because yeah. the door was open I forgot about that as telling you I was impressed by 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 the guy getting the win but that's a bunk finish and you know that Luke he Why? thought he got knocked. Well, the, the door opened up. The guy fell back. He didn't fall back because he was KO'd, right? There was a borderline foul there, the whole situation. It, it seems a little like it didn't have to end that way. And you know See, it. Here, here's heart. my thing. If you're the referee and the guy drops to his knees after that and doesn't get up and go back to his stool, and you ask him multiple times if he's okay and he does not answer you, and then the first move he makes is to sit and then he falls backwards, I can understand uh, Bisping's point. I think it's a fair one that, well, if the cage door wasn't open, maybe he doesn't fall back. But the fact that he went that long being unresponsive and then he does, I can understand why the referee was like, okay, I've had enough here. No, yeah, no I mean, his body language didn't support a fighter who was ready to fight. So it's his fault in the end. You know, it's kind of like when you're in boxing and you're cornered and you're almost kind of quasi sitting on the ropes and you're not throwing back. They're, they're going to stop that fight, and it's your fault, you know, even if you're not, even if you're not hurt. It totally is what done, it is yeah. out there. Uh, did uh, the you see uh, poor John Anik, by the way, who's gutting it out on, like, no sleep. Everyone there is. Uh, did you see that interview with uh, Liana Jojua that was uh, kind of quasi in English, but not really? And John's like, hey, you know, you yeah. can use the interpreter. And then she's like, no, no, my camp good. He's like, no, you can, you really, you can use the interpreter. Finally, he's like, okay, great fight, you know, hope to see you again. She goes, hold on. My camp, good. Oh, that was that was brutal. I, I like it was it was you know. Oh. Yeah, it was a little Borat esque. But here's the thing: my she wife, started. Dead. Yeah. She started the interview by saying, "My English is not so good." So it wasn't like can she didn't warn get you. The, can can we get the uh, Apollo Theater hook in that situation and just get out, <laughs> get move on? Uh, UFC that when it, it, it has to come to a point where the UFC just makes like an executive decision, where it's like, you know, you got to be at least proficient in English. Uh, to yeah. get an interview. You know what I'm saying? That's like me trying to answer. That was like me trying to order food in Spanish in Colombia and getting laughed at by the, uh, the locals. They're like, sir, you can leave the line now. And I'm like, no, I would like, 
I would like an arepa, please. They're like, get the fuck out of the line. Um, arepa? Uh, Didn't Al Hassan get cleared? What? No, bad, no, bad, 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 bad South American food joke. Sorry. Some people. Yeah, really that. terrible. Yeah. Uh, by the way, two, real point, I want to point this out. Lerone Murphy getting the win over Ricardo Hamos. Brutal ground and pound. Uh, how about Jared Gordon housing Chris Fishgold? Three thirty twenty sixes. Uh, then he mentions all the stuff about you know the personal. He I didn't know he had had a false positive test for COVID when he got to Fight Island. Then of course he tested negative enough times where they let it rock. Loses his whole corner to COVID. Paul Felder steps up. Eric Nixick steps up. We talked about that on Monday. And then he reveals, BC, that I guess two or three weeks ago, his wife had a miscarriage. I said this on Twitter. I don't mind talking about it because couples just don't. My wife and I experienced one several years ago. It is, it is devastating, man. It is devastating. Yeah. And obviously, it depends how far along in the gestation process. And I think that probably does make some of a difference to how painful it is. But for him to go through all that, BC, plus the travel, and not only win... But when 3026 across the board, dude, that is an impressive guy. Yeah, that was a feel-good moment there. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, and I enjoyed everybody else, as we talked about, joining hands. You know, it's good It's good when we get those feel-good stories in the MMA community and the greater family coming together to support each other. There's too much of, uh, I mean, look, Luke, you say it often. There ain't no good people in this game. And people make fun of you for that, and you're a little bit overblown. There are some great people, Luke, okay? Brett Okamoto, top shelf, all right? Top shelf. Aaron I don't say that there are none. I say that there are I'd rare. I'd consider giving him a kidney. I wouldn't go through with it, but I'd consider it. You know, it's easier in his country with the uh, healthcare to make that happen, though. I don't say that there are no good guys, and I don't give a shit if people make fun of me for it. I say that there are very few, and the answer to that, like whether that's true, is absolutely that's true. It's full of a lot of totally deranged people. Um, okay, lastly, Jack Shore defeats well, Aaron hold on, Phillips. Hold on. Did huh. you see the schmo showed up in in uh, the UAE? Is he? I did. Is he coming for Morgan's blue shirt? Should we be on the lookout for this? I guess, bro. You can see his uh, his jacket. It looks like a like a rug at the Bellagio uh, all the way in the back there. He's out there, bro. He's making it happen for himself. God hey, bless he must him. Must have a great travel budget. Shout out to the schmo for making that happen. Yeah, bro. He's out there. I mean, he's got a studio in Vegas. Schmo's killing the game. All right, at, uh, and then lastly, Jack Shore defeats Aaron Phillips at 229 of the second round via rear naked choke. Nice win. By the way, I don't know if you know this. You mentioned the Joe Jua win over Belbita. Um, I think that I read something like, if you're talking about submission wins in men's divisions versus females, that like the women, uh, I think 40% of submissions for women are arm bars. And I, think, I could be getting this wrong. I think it's something like 15%. On the men's side, I don't know exactly what explains that, but um, kind of an interesting disparity there. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, fight of the night went to Lazez and Hal Hassan. Performance of the night: Murphy, Chemaev, and then Bukowskis. I was surprised they didn't give one to Cater, but what are you going to do? I guess. Well, it, it 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 was it was thorough and impressive, but it wasn't overwhelming. All right. So it takes us a little bit here, BC, to uh, this Saturday. This Saturday is another UFC contest, and at the top of it, they're going to find a way to make it happen, it seems. They're going to do it again from UFC, what was it, Norfolk before? I can't remember which one it was, where uh, Devison Figueredo is going to have a rematch with Joseph Benavidez, and it's for the vacant flyweight title. Of course, Figueredo beat Benavidez the first time, but missed weight, so he couldn't get the title. Then he tests positive for COVID, but I guess it was a false positive, so they're going to try to make it happen. 
What is your sense, BC, about Figueredo versus Benavidez 2? I'm really excited that it's happening, given the uncertainty. I know they had Alexandre Pantoja on line one. He's going to be on this card anyway. And by the way, a really good fight. Uh, but, you know, we, no one would have wanted... Look, there's there's an emotional uh, level at stake here. We all like jiu-jitsu, right? Benavidez, he's, he's, he's this, he has the opportunity here for a Bizpingian-like late career, finally climbed the mountain, super deserving, all that. And, you know, you add the added wrinkle of that knockout loss at Norfolk when his opponent misses Wade and headbutts him and all that. But I didn't want that to potentially happen against Pandosia, no disrespect, right? Like, in a lot of ways, you know, I wanted Benavides to go through Cejudo, you know, a guy he had beaten in a fight of the year four years ago. Well, it's not going to happen. I think this is close enough given that, you know, he just got knocked out by this guy under all those circumstances. This is going to be a very interesting fight. Yeah, you're asking a lot of Figueredo with the whole last-minute situation, the, the false positive, all that. But, you know, he, he's going to come in there and bang and, and, and dye weird colors into his hair. So I want to ask you this, Luke. There's so much bad luck for Benavides, and he's 35, and this is the last of the last of the last opportunities for oh, him. Oh, yeah. Like somebody like Holly Holm, she may backdoor into a title. Like, I mean, if, if Amanda Nunes retires tomorrow, they're putting Holly Holm in another title fight. You know, that's just how the, the game works at times. Benavidez ain't getting no other opportunities than this. Uh, I wonder if he should carpe diem the shit out of this fight, Luke, and realize that um, I, can't, I can't lose a bunk decision. I can't hope I don't get, you know, kicked in the crotch or poked in the eye. I'm going to have to go out there and get rid of this guy. I'm going to have to do this to do this the right way. I'm going to have to go in there. Not reckless, but I'm going to have to go for the damn finish. I wonder if he adjusts to that mindset. I wonder if he's considering that. And I wonder if that could be the avenue to getting what he feels he deserves. I have a feeling he's not going to do that. I have a feeling what he's going to do is try and play it safer early on. Clinch where he can. Make Figueredo work. Because even if Figueredo makes weight, you know that weight cut's going to kill him. right? You know it is. So if you can just postpone actively going for offense until a little bit later in the fight when it's much easier to manage, that seems like a doable thing. Just make it about workload, not about offense and defense. And it's a doable thing because, dude, Figueredo laid him out last time. And I forget who was talking about it. I can't remember. I was watching some podcast. And they sort of think, think at, at Benavidez at 35, you know, knocked out several times at this point. Some people can get knocked out a bunch, and they kind of just, it doesn't really affect them all that bad. And then some get knocked out a few times, and it's like, it's a wrap for them. Maybe it was Big John and, um, and uh, Josh Thompson, I can't remember. But Benavidez, you know, I'm not saying he, uh, you know, he's not Lazez, okay. And I don't think he's like Chuck Liddell versus Rich Franklin in that sense either. But Figueredo definitely has the better firepower, definitely has the better striking. And that's just not something you can play with if you want your, to maximize your chances. He's going to have to make All it right, ugly a, and make it late. So what about pushing pace on him? What about just making it, making it a track meet? Yeah, make him move. As much as you can make him work. If, if you had to pinpoint what advantage Benavidez might have, experience, maybe better scrambler, something like that, but he's probably going to have better cardio. Cardio is absolutely going to be his best. People don't think of cardio as a weapon. They think of it as a condition. But if you know how to use it properly, it's absolutely a weapon. And uh, Max Holloway, for example, made it a weapon against Aldo in both of those fights. So he has to weaponize cardio, basically is what I think. And just trying to go bonkers with Figueredo. I don't know, man. That's a recipe to get laid out again. If this ends up as a uh, unhappy ending... Um where are we going to put 
Joseph Benavidez, a great fighter in the ultimate list of the greatest bridesmaids. I consider Dan Henderson the greatest UFC fighter to never win a UFC title, although when you add what he did in Pride and Strike Force, it almost cancels that out. Even Mr. Faber, you know, at least was WEC champion and, you know, the best in the, in the world in the small weight classes for a short period there. Uh, is Joe Benavidez next in line after those two for greatest fighters to never win a UFC title? Would you put him ahead of a Demian Maia, a Jacare? He's he is probably ahead of them. I don't know if he's. I don't think he's ahead of Overeem, but he is up there. I mean, listen to the names he's beaten: Juicier Formiga, Dustin Ortiz, Alex Perez, Henry Cejudo, Zach Makovsky, Ali Bagautinov, John Moraga again, Dustin Ortiz, Tim Elliott, Formiga again, and then sort of an old school guard. These were the top guys back then: Darren Yuyan Oyama, Ian McCall. Yasuhiro Urushitani, you could argue he should have beaten Demetrius Johnson the first time. We all know the controversy there. Eddie Wineland, Ian Loveland, Vagni Fabiano, Miguel Torres, Hani Yaya, Jeff Curran, Danny Martinez, and so wow. on and so forth. Like, dude, he's beaten a ridiculous list of guys. That was back I, when know. beating Miguel Torres was a, you know, that meant something. That was 2010, and he submitted him at that in only his 13th fight. Like, Dude, Joseph Benavidez, if he does not win a title, is absolutely one of the best fighters ever to never have a UFC title. So it's him, Yoel Romero so far, although, you know, jury's still out on that one, I suppose. Uh, Hendo, Overeem. Who were some other ones that I had thought of that I would put? You mentioned Maya and Jacare. I'd probably put him on that list as well. There's a bunch you could pick, but, dude, he's at, the, he's at the near top of that list, not really on it. It'd be a shame. On the other hand, if he wins, of course, you know, he becomes sort of like what happened with... Michael Bisping, where your last chapter, you know, you beat a guy who previously beat you and you get the title and um, it would transform his career. I don't think it would put him in the Hall of Fame because it's not enough for that, although one never knows. But oh, dude, it would yeah, absolutely. You, if you're a nice guy, you get in the Hall of Fame, all right? If you try, if you, you know, if you've played poker with Dana, you get in the Hall of Fame. Come on. Yeah, but it depends what wing, you know, like would you By get the way, in there you're gonna, for? You're going to live down. Did you try to make a take last week and I didn't hear it in real time that Aldo wasn't already a Hall of Famer because Twitter was like ready to like steal your daughter from you? No, people don't understand anything because they have poor reading and listening comprehension skills. The argument that I made was not that he was not a Hall of Famer, the, although it may have been packaged that way, the way it was cut up for the show. The argument is he's probably a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's not in there yet, but it seems like he will probably go in there. The question is, he like a Mount seems Rushmore? Like, all- come on. Hold on. Hold on. The question is, he's, he is probably close to, if not already in the conversation for Mount Rushmore all time great. And I made the argument quite explicitly. It's not difficult to argue that case. The argument I was making was let's just presume, for the sake of argument, he's on the bubble. If he beat, had he beat Jan, there is no argument at that point. So either you could make a case for him. Or you could say it's a little bit somewhere close. The whole point about beating Jan was it is so ironclad at that point, you couldn't even argue otherwise. It would not even be possible. Whereas now, right. I think there's at least a little bit of a debate to be had. All right. But, but the way that you presented that, and obviously the headline uh, tricked people, it led people to believe you were trying to make the case that he wasn't already. And then I got thrown in like, like I'm responsible for you, as if like you said the N-word or something and I didn't stop you. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Yeah, well, listen, people. if people right. read headlines and they don't watch videos, I don't give a shit about their opinion, and neither should you. Yeah. And by the way, if you say the N-word, you're off the show, and it's me and the schmo moving forward, okay? Uh, under- understandably, uh, but good news for you, I don't do that. Uh, all right, so 
also on this card, there's a couple of interesting fights, but the co-main event, Jack Hermanson is back. Jack Hermanson taking on Kelvin Gastelum at middleweight. Dude, what a sleeper fight this is, BC. It's going to be really interesting. I want to talk to you about Gastelum. Okay, Luke? I was there at 236. People remember me in the orange pullover. Weird outfit choice that night. Um, but I was front row to the best fight I've ever seen in boxing or MMA in person against Israel Adesanya. Look, I don't think you can argue that night that Gastelum was elite title contender potential. Like, he was everything, right? That was the best, in a lot of ways, distillation of who that man can be and could be. And there's, you know, it was important because a lot of his career had been missed weight, show you flashes, but never really give it to you in that regard. There are people, my colleague Brandon Wise at CBS Sports is one of them, who's like, you know, y'all been drinking the juice of that performance against Adesanya, in which he fought his balls off, poured it out in the middle, almost rallied for a submission win. I mean, everything was great. But that I'm drunk on the idea that he is and has always been who he is in that fight. And I like to, you know, aggressively say, you know, argue that and be like, no, like he is that guy. But if you are going to, you know, he's only 28, by the way, too. But if you are going to look at his recent run, you do have to be honest that he is two and three with one no contest in his last five. One of those wins was the knockout of Bisping that shouldn't have happened, right? That fight shouldn't have even been booked. And the other one was a split decision win, I think, over uh, Jacare. Yep. And, you know, yeah, he just lost a split decision in a tough fight with Till. And he got submitted by Weidman for the other fight. I think you could make that case when you look at the recent resume. I do personally believe that there is elite talent in there. He hasn't always been able to put it out. But I will tell you what this fight offers him. If he loses this, Luke, and it's three in a row against very good fighters, but a step down from the fighters he's recently lost to, he will be no longer in that elite conversation. But if he wins it, good God, he's right there on the title doorstep again. You know, yeah, Costa's in line. Whitaker, uh, you know, Till winner will be right behind that. But he's not going to be too far, especially if there ends up being a potential to rematch him if Adesanya still has the title. So I get that debate, but I'm not buying in completely. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, Hermanson sitting at six, Gastelum sitting at seven. You're right in his last six fights for Gastelum. One three, lost two, one no contest. That should have been a win. It was a win over Vitor Belfort. But no, one two, lost three, Luke. One two, lost three. Is that right? Uh, yes. In his last six, you're right. He beat Bisping and Souza and then lost to Weidman, Adesanya, Till, and then the and Belfort that, by one. By the way, that Weidman loss is now a kind of a bad loss, right? Yeah, he got submitted. That's the only one of the losses where he got stopped. Now, he nearly got stopped by Adesanya in the fifth round, obviously before the buzzer, and there was a split decision loss to Darren Till. But you're right. I can never tell whether he's coming or going, you know? Like, there are times where I count him out, and he totally exceeds my expectations, and then I'm like, okay, all right, well, I was wrong about him. And then he goes in there, and he'll lose, or he'll be uncomfortably close in ways I did not anticipate. I, I have a hard time sort of gauging. And to your point, like... I remember the day he was supposed to fight Whitaker, and then we found out you know, Whitaker had the stomach issue and the whole thing was off, and it was a terrible night for him. That was the Adesanya versus uh, Silva night, right? And, but yeah. you know, back then, he was like, you know, that's a, that get, we, we all thought, like, I don't know if he's going to beat Whitaker, but Gaslam's going to give him a run for his money. Gives Adesanya toughest fight he's ever had by a million miles in terms of uh, wins. And you know, then he goes against Darren Till. I thought that was a terrible fight for Till to take. Till showed tremendous growth, and it was close, but like, I thought Till should have won outright, not merely split. I don't know what's going to happen here, because Hermanson, if you look at the way in which he lost to, who's the guy who wears all the rocks, the crystals? Um, what's his face? 
Uh, uh, the, you know what I'm talking about? The Rock. D- D- Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Who? Uh, I got it in front of me. Okay. Jared Cannonier. Jared Cannonier. Yes. Jared Cannonier. He got stopped after that four-fight win streak where he looked like a quasi-contender, and then he got sent to hell. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. How did he do it? He stuffed all the takedowns, outscrambled, and then on the feet, it just turns out Hermanson, Hermanson is probably, he might be elite if he can use the totality of his game, not if he has to just rely on his striking. And so you have to think, okay, if Cannoneer can do that, shouldn't Gastelum be able to do that? He can wrestle. He should have, should have good cardio or good enough cardio. And uh, it's only three rounds. And he can obviously strike with the best of them. He's got a big, heavy punch, even at 185. But, like, I can't tell whether he's coming or going, man. I really don't. And you're right about all the consequences. He loses. It's terrible. He wins. He's probably back in the top five again. Uh, I'm I'm lost on this one. Seriously, he's right there. If Adesanya beats Costa next, and then if Whitaker wins, he probably gets the rematch. If Whitaker doesn't win and Gastelum does on Saturday, you could argue he gets slid in for the next opportunity. So we'll see how that one goes. By the way, what are the odds on that one? Let me see here very quickly. What is I go to? Uh, I use Best Fight Odds. They don't pay me anything. It's just a helpful resource. Oh, they've got it as a pick'em. BC Hermanson minus one hundred and five, Gastelum minus one fifteen. Wow. If yeah, if Gastelum right. keeps that fight on the feet, Luke, he can win it. He can knock him out. Um, there's a couple of interesting fights on the main card, as you mentioned. Alexandre Pantoja is back. He's taking on Askar Askarov. There's like a women's fight on there from women's flyweight. Uh, also back on this card, BC, Joseph Duffy. Joseph Duffy's back against Joel Alvarez. Yoel, Hoel. Uh, he has lost two in a row, Joe Duffy has. He lost to James Vick via TKO and then to Dia Casey. Hasn't fought since March of 2019. So he's been off for over a year. Probably should win this one. But I remember when Duffy first came to the UFC, he's like, oh, this is the guy that submitted Conor McGregor. Boy, his stock has dropped a significant amount since then. Yes. Yeah, significantly. So this is a good opportunity to bounce back there. I think you went a little bit too quickly, Luke, over that Pantage, Pan, Pan, uh, Pan, Pantoja, wow. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Luke, I, can't, I keep doing this today. I can't speak. Uh, wow. Uh, Pantoja against Askarov. Tell me if I'm wrong here on Askarov. I'm seeing a future title contender there. I know he you know, he had that draw with Moreno that was fantastic, and then he came back with another win after that. Um, I'm seeing that Russian toughness. I'm seeing a you know, wrestling game, but also a, w- a willingness to go in the deep end in the striking. Uh Pantoja's ranked number three, and while he's a tough fighter, he's certainly not a guy that I look at and go, "Oh yeah, you know, he's not, that guy could be a future champion." I'm not. I'm not sure if Askarov doesn't win this and win this impressively that he might not be the he might be the next title challenger. Well, to your point about Pantoja, he only has two losses in the UFC: one to Dustin Ortiz back in 2018, and then one to Figueredo, who's fighting for the title and be unanimous. But after the Figueredo loss, she, I'll, I'll, let me actually back up a step. Before that, he beat Wilson Hayes. And then after that, he knocked out Matt Schnell. Matt Schnell is easily one of the most improved fighters on the UFC roster. He is very talented. I know a lot of folks forget about that MTV show he was kind of on because he's so distinct from that. And he had a couple early stumbles in the UFC, but he has absolutely totally transformed his game. And he got knocked out inside of uh, the first round by uh, Pantoja. So you're right. Probably winner of this one takes on the winner of the main event, right? So, or, uh, yeah, flyweight to flyweight. So... Um, we'll have to yeah, see what if happens you don't know, there. Askar, you better ask yourself. Uh, uh, that guy's fantastic, Luke. You know, you never talk about Askar Askarov, and I, 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 you know, I resent you for that. 
I don't, I guess. Uh, the other thing on this card that has my attention, BC, and you're going to make fun of me for it, I don't care. It's Davi Hamos taking on Armin Saryukian. Now, this is the second fight on the prelim card. Davi Hamos won, I want to say, the last or the one before that, the 27 ADCC against Lucas Lepre via flying armbar as Lepre was sitting, uh, trying to play open sitting guard, and Davi Hamos did a flying armbar on him and won ADCC. He is an absolute monster on the ground. Armin Saryukian had that fight against Islam Makachev, and he lost, but he showed he is an unbelievable scrambler, has Mirab Davalashvili kind of cardio, maybe not as good, but pretty good, and is a workhorse. He is outmatched technically against Hamos, but he puts in the kind of effort that might save him. I'm desperately looking forward to that contest. And also, Saryukian's uh, Armenian. Is Sarukian, uh, your Armenian brother? Did I guess that on that Yes, right? Sarukian is Armenian, yes. That's why I will automatically okay. cheer for him. Right. I'm sure you, him, Coach Edmund, will be fired up for this fight. Yes, but he is. I think he's part of like the uh, parts of Armenia that are a little bit more Russia influenced. So you know that wasn't yes. exactly my, up, my 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 mom's upbringing, but you know. Hey, head, head movement just the same, Luke. Shout out to your people. Uh, shout out to uh, Vanis Martirosian of the Armenian culture. Uh, Manuk Akopian from uh, the LA Times uh, in BoxingScene.com, another Ar- Armenian star in the uh, in the combat game. So uh, I'm here to support you and your people, Luke. I don't know what well, Rob Thomas comes from. Like probably like English or angry or it German is, or something. It is. Uh, Thomas means twin or um, in Latin, I believe. Okay. Uh, uh, as long as you support my Lithuanian people, including Rose Namajunas, then I'll back you on this, all right? Uh, what is your connection to Lithuania? Uh, I'm 50%. My mother's family are Witkowskis's. So, uh, my does, your mom, does your mom, has she ever been to Lithuania? She has not, but uh, three of her four grandparents were from there, came from there. And, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I think it explains my Baltic toughness. You know, offset by my French-Canadian side, which is probably more of my, you know, personality and, and, and softer side, you know. But, uh, I, you know, I, I look at Aaron Bronstetter as a brethren in this, even though I'm from Quebec, my people. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's the history of me, Luke. It's a great show we got right here. Great you ever show. been to Montreal? Uh, hey. Oh, yeah. I've, I've brutalized French in there and got yelled at. Uh, I spent, uh, actually, uh, New Year's Eve... Uh, 2000 i spent uh in a in a back room in in montreal wait, wait. We'll, we'll 99 to two, wait 99 to 2000 or 2000 to 2001 it was 2000 into 2001 i was watching uh. that rams playoff game with kurt warner when they lost and then you know you go in the back room and then you regret telling that story in public all right things happen uh luke um are you gonna buy the pay-per-view this weekend there's a pay-per-view this weekend yeah, it's coming to you from a fairgrounds in Iowa. It'll cost you twenty nine ninety five. Kickboxing is the main event as fifty seven year old Michael Nunn takes on fellow ex boxing champion takes on fellow over fifty oh, no. Pat Militic in no. a kickboxing pay per view main event. You just need to see your thoughts. No, no, I won't be watching that. Unfortunately, okay. or, tell me okay. you're not watching that. Uh, no, no, no. I like gross things, but not that gross. Okay, thank you very much. Didn't, didn't uh, Militich just get arrested for DUI? I don't, I don't have an answer for that. But he is—he's a strong conspiratorial fella. You know, I've—I've I've heard a few. He goes deep though. I got, got, got Remember Vince Carter in the in the elbow deep? He goes that deep for on on the conspiratorial. Oh yeah. Train. What are you? If he's the Vince Carter elbow deep, who are you in the slam dunk contest of conspiracy theories? 
Um, I like to believe, you know, because here's the thing. You're, you, you know who you are? You're Isaiah Ryder, just kind of doing this number, you know? I might be Brent Berry from the free throw line in that awful 96 dunk contest. Um, you know, because the 2000 dunk contest is the best one of all time, and, you know, Vince's performance is the best. But people don't realize, Luke, that T-Mac and Stevie Franchise had performances in that same 2000 dunk contest that would have won every other year. So maybe mm -hmm. I'm one of them in this discussion. Or maybe I'm that weird guy, Chris Anderson, with the... Yeah, I'm probably that weird guy. You remember that guy? Who's, who is the biggest letdown in slam dunk history? In other words, a guy who could dunk, great player, people like, just really shit the bed in the slam dunk contest. Oh, I think Sean Kemp. He was a finalist like four times and would always... But that was back when, you know, you'd get one replacement dunk. So if you missed in a key moment, you were done. That's it. It wasn't like the... Remember when the slam dunk contest got shitty again around 08, 09? Yeah. Remember uh, Andrea Godala and Nate Robinson got like 40 chances to do a dunk. And by that point, you know, it's like, hey, looks good in a highlight. It took you 37 times to bounce <laughs> it off the top of the backboard, though. Um, look, I'm a, I'm a slam dunk contest historian. I'm very passionate about it. They've ruined that contest many times. Uh, Sean Kemp came up empty a lot. And I think the great one was LeBron James never, never doing one because he didn't think he had a creative enough arsenal. Although if you go back to his McDonald's All-American contest win, he didn't have flair, but he jumped like off the ceiling he was you know he's a freak so i think he could have won as well but you know it stopped being cool for stars to enter that because they didn't want to take the l it's really the modern day uh issue you know back in the day i mean George, dominic wilkins was doing it into his 30s because it was about you know respect and, and no, no one wants to be looked at as a dunker anymore all right where are you on, my... on where are you on zach levine as a dunker fantastic fantastic dunker i'm glad he's actually become a complete player too i'm getting back into the nba scene playing uh you know video games with my kids i'm deep in on xbox one now luke and i actually was was wondering if you wanted to have a discussion about uh mortal combat xl because i play the crap out of that game yeah I it's addicted. a I, did, I, I didn't oversell that game it is fantastic who are your characters that you play with more that's routinely? what i wanted to ask you yeah so look okay. i'm an old school johnny cage guy back from sega genesis in the arcade he sucks ass roller magic um, I do like Johnny Cage now because, look, he's kind of got the MMA vibe. He'll break bones when he goes for the, the big finish and stuff. But I found that, you know, my kids are pretty good. Like, I'm already kind of becoming the old guy with a slower trigger finger now. And when I use this fella called Quan Chi, do you know this devil-looking fellow? He looks like the Inquisitor, who is the bad guy in Star Wars Rebels. He's got a white head with some red paint on it. That guy can create, like holes in the ground and throw you in it he is a bad mother effer that's the only guy i use that i can compete against my kids with who's your guy uh i used to be back in the day a baraka guy i'm not a baraka guy anymore my guy right now in this game i found i had a lot of success with raiden who i know is the old school one and among yes. the new school choices because i tried out everybody surprisingly spawn I get a really? lot of fun, and yeah, Spawn. Spawn has a surprising amount of flexibility and use. That is, so those are my two go-tos, Spawn and Raiden. Uh, one of my sons is really good. He can use all the, the mid-sized guys and destroy me, but I've got a son who's a masher. He's like the uh, John Lineker of, Mor of Mortal Kombat, and he uses that dude Ferator, you know, the big fat guy who has the little guy on top on his back? Yeah. You know that guy? Yeah. And he corners me against the wall, and I, I, dude, I can't do anything against it. it. It pisses me the hell off. I have to throw the controller at the screen. But uh, I'm now, in on this. Did you play? Uh, did you I, play with uh, Terminator or Joker yet? No, I didn't get there yet. I didn't get Jason Voorhees unlocked yet, or anything like that. Uh, do you use that weird reptile-looking guy? That guy's real good. 
Uh, I've played with everyone. I don't. I, uh, I think it is reptile. I don't think I've used him like routinely. I also am a bit of a um, not Liu Kang, uh, Kung Lao. I like it. I like Kung Lao a little bit as well. I like some of the older ones that have just sort of like stood the test of time. It's like a tuxedo, yeah. BC. You don't have to. You don't have to really change up a tuxedo. It's just kind of classic, true. you know. I think Ken Shi might be pound for pound the best guy there, hardest guy to beat. Um, he's mid-size. He's got the blindfold over his eyes. He's got the sword. He's got the combination of speed and power. Wow, we are yeah. nerdy having this discussion, but I'm in on it. Okay, I'm in. All right. Uh, did you figure oh, yeah. out if did, did any of our listeners email you or message you about whether we could play each other? Me on the PC, yeah, you on the you Xbox. Know, I, I I've I've crossed past the age where I can figure that out without you know without. Uh, I would like to. Hopefully, we can. Okay, I can play on the Xbox Live. Let's do it, please. I don't know. Can those can those paths cross? Can we get it on the show, Luke? Can I play you on this show? I don't. Maybe we'll think do it. So. Maybe we'll do an edition of MK Edibles, and we'll we'll play each other in a championship round. <laughs> all right. Uh, very good. By the way, I'm told that we have some viewer art. Yes. What do we have? Hey, BC? look, M- MK Extra is um is look. It's a little bit bare bones. We're giving you a bonus episode this week because UFC is going all out. But we're not going to have have you seen this shit. But we'll have a special edition of HYT. Y S with some recently uh, expert level fan art that has been sent to us. You may have seen a couple of them retweeted out there. I just wanted to shout out these jokers out because we have some of the most talented people uh, in our stable of weird watchers and listeners. So uh, uh, Jay Gaff, if you could begin this process of, of us doing that. I mean, look, so this good. might be the go- so good. This, this might be the greatest of all time. Do you, can you read that handle? I cannot. Can you? Jay, can it's, you read that it's, handle? It's for me? Dominic. It's Dominic something. I forget his last name. I made this my wallpaper on my computer. I'm sorry, Jay. We're live here, Jay. Just to let you know. Okay, that's great. That's great. Well, hey, Dominic, with that, that might be the best. I mean, that's Simpsons. You got me with the uh, with the Dedrick Tatum, Mike Tyson t-shirt so right good. there. Um, so good. A little bit of grip to grip. The uh, the the morning. Con- the no. What do you have? The Cannibal Corpse shirt on. Cannibal Corpse. Yep. All right, I got that guy's name. One more second here. Let's give him the love. Uh, at Dominic Valando, V-E-L-A-N-D-O on Instagram. So shout out to that. Hey, let's go to the next one here. Uh, you may have seen this. This also in the discussion for best we've seen. It could be a t-shirt at this point. This is at our guy, right? The Greek god of, of war and thunder. At Web Scream here, our, our buddy Christophoros. That's, uh, that's about as good as it gets, Luke. Uh, have you seen that show? Have you seen that show? That is, I showed that to my wife and she was blown away. She's like, it took her a second. She had to look at my hands with the beer bottle to realize it wasn't me because that is done. She's like, did you, well, here was what she asked. She's like, did you guys do a, a, a shoot like this? I said, no, we have a listener in Italy who made it. Can you believe that? Yeah, that, that's, that is uh, well done there from the graphic designer web screen. Uh, visit his ish. And uh, check out, this is probably my favorite, though, the next one. From a fellow named Blaze MMA at 420, be respectful. He's getting all Tiger King on us. And as he tweeted, <laughs> look at submissive producer Jay coming in crotch high on you there, Luke. Well, I got to tell you, who has better teeth? Joe, uh, no, what was the, who was the guy there who was kneeling? What was his name in the show? I forget his name. Um, he had like six teeth, and they were all, you know, just oh, John, lounging in his uh, mouth. J- yeah, John something, right? There was, there was Travis Maldonado who died. There was yep. John something. Then there was that new husband who was a little sketchy too. But uh, Yeah, how about yeah. this guy? Who has a better smile? Toothless, meth-infused 
Joe exotic husband or Jay? Honestly, I'm going to go meth infused husband. Look, if I didn't know any better, you know, I haven't seen Jay with a shirt off, but I, I could see him looking exactly like that, right? Kneeling, you know, what, is it, what are you, kneeling Bob, or is that what you do? You know, funnily yeah. enough, both this guy and Jay live in a place with a AC unit in the window. Dude, I live with an AC unit in the window. Where are we going? I know. In my office, my wife has one, too. I just like putting Jay on mega tilt for it. That's it. Sorry, we all can't afford central air down there in D.C., Luke. Okay, thank you very much. Hey, uh, so bored. here's the deal. You tweeted out the, uh, the Breaking Bad one that WebScream created, or you put it How on Instagram. How good is this one? And you used a, uh, from the Wire quote, so WebScream came back with a second helping. Luke, my favorite, season two of the Wire, down by the dock. So what was the name of the family? Oh, God. I think you, you're Nico. I'm Ziggy yes. right there on the right. Yes, that's right. I forget the name. By the way, this is uh, also season two gets a shout out from Reup Gang on Scenario 2008. And uh, if the uh, if the album flop till the casket drop, we the wire season two bitches back to the docks. That's what it's from in my uh, Instagram post. Fantastic. So here's the deal uh, on the wire. We love that show. I think it's the greatest show of all time. And season two is their best season. And I know it's trendy to one shit on season two or then realize you were wrong the second watch and be like no season two is actually really good it's the best season dude i'm sorry it is i like season you. four with the school okay i love season three the ending of the uh of the uh, avon in uh, stringer bell story but uh yeah season two is fantastic and that's you and i right there luke you know i'm always you know eventually we'll, we'll both die and lose our jobs but uh hopefully it won't be my fault let's move on here um this is from at Rodriguez works on Instagram works with a Z. So Luke, he, this is his tribute to me. Can I tell you a little bit about this character right here? Yeah, please. Uh, that's a, that's a metal arm and leg. I'm written. I'm drawn like a nineties comic star. I have a machine gun, samurai sword and rocket launcher, a shitty nineties print trench coat with XL plated, uh, pleated jorts and Grant Hill's Fila's with that awkward blue line that goes all the way around. And if you notice, the left hand of this gentleman is grip to grip through the through the zipper with a weapon in his hand. That's creative right there. That's, that's well done. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. This guy must be our age. Yes, yes. Shout out to that. And our final one comes in from at Jonah Jape on Instagram. Um, you know, sadly enough here, Luke... <laughs> I, I, why does it look so natural, my face on Fat Joe's body? Why? Yeah, who am I? Who, who did I take? Uh, what, is that the other dude? The, uh, are, you, uh, are you doing the Rockaway there? Uh, 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 is this Terror Squad? Is that who that's supposed to be? You're Fat Joe, and I'm like one I of... Don't know. I, I, maybe it's Alexander Hamilton, Luke. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not up on this, but I, I do Alexander appreciate the Hamilton. art. And I do appreciate the uh, morning combat shirt on the uh, on me in the black there, though. So shout out to all of our people. We we appreciate you. Uh, we got to, we got some big ideas for merch, by the way, for round two of merch. So I don't know if any of these can make it, Luke, but uh, or maybe we can recreate that cover of uh, you know you and I with the black thing across our eyes. Remember that one? Oh yeah, the um, what was the movie? The uh, uh, parasite. Yes. Yes. Sorry, I have no memory today. I stayed up late last night. Sorry, I'll be better next time. I see that. I see that. You know, usually you always come in hashtag fired up. Today you came in hashtag a little farty, a little 
Yeah. A little sad. I, I missed time my caffeine intake. I should have considered, uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Luke, you got anything else? I mean, you know, I know you got another job, so, you know, I can't go too long with you, but you got anything else? No, I mean, I do have the dissected episode. I have to get it over to the folks at Malka today. So it'll probably either be out today or tomorrow morning. I keep getting delayed on it. But uh, BC, I have to tell you, that is the hardest one I've ever had to do. Uh, folks always ask me, whose game is hard to break down? And, you know, any kind of UFC fighter is going to have a degree of complexity to it. Before it was Israel Adesanya, before that it was Max. The new one for me is Volkanovski. Jesus Christ, dude. It is very hard. There, it, it, <laughs> it took a while. It took a while, man. I thought I would have this done by Sunday. And then every time I watched, I'm like, oh, right, he's doing this. And then I would watch again. I'd be like, fuck, how did I not see that? And then again and again and again and again to the point where I'm like now I'm a little scared to put it out because I'm like, am I going to miss something major? That he has uh, done. I don't know. I don't know. And then Max, also BC, switched up his game a little bit too. So I had to unravel all of that shit because it wasn't... Like, if you go from Max from the first Aldo fight to the second Aldo fight, there were changes, but not not crazy huge changes. Uh, Some important ones, but not like, bah, dude, between the first and second Volkanovski fight, it's, you know... It was hard, dude. Nobody it was really does difficult. It. Nobody does it like S- Professor Salt and Pepper. So I hope everybody checks out MK Dissected. Luke, uh, MMA Man Crush Monday. Who's who's got it firmer right now? Me with Joanna or you with Eugene Barriman? Uh, I get made fun of more for my affection for city kickboxing. So it has to be me, right? I mean, because okay. here's the thing: like, who outside of New Zealand likes city kickboxing more than me? Right. Here, my point being is, lots of you nerds like Joanna. Uh, you know, you're not alone. I feel like I'm a little bit of a, a North American unicorn over here. Right. I am alone when I look at the Instagram account, but yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, um, that's a fair. That's fair. Uh, all right. With that in mind, uh, as BC mentioned, they made some photoshops of us wearing MK merch. You can get your own. You can just go to store.show. That's S-H-O.com. Tons of Morning Combat merch over there. we got a whole bunch of stuff coming, too, by the way, but the first line of it is there. Uh, give the video yeah. a thumbs up. Subscribe. We are back Monday, I BC. I hear and can confirm that it's very comfortable, Luke. You know who was raving about that? You know our, our, our mutual friend Chad Dukes, uh, a radio star in yep. the uh, D.C. area? Yep. His producer, man, he's loving our merch, okay? Loving it. So shout Brock out to those, those fellas down there. Yeah, shout out to the guys on the fan down there. Yeah, Brock Leesner. I used to work at the fan. Brock Leesner's a good dude. Um, okay, and then we're back on Monday. BC, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to spoil it. I'm just going to say I don't know exactly what's going to happen on Saturday, but I do know that Monday's morning combat is going to be huge. Big. Big. It's going to be Not big. Okay. a show you want to miss. Just take our word for it. That's all we're going to say. Like Shaq, you know, after hours, right? Like Little Shaq, sorry, after hours. It's going to be big. It's going to be very big, okay? You may run out of the room. Uh, Screaming. Yeah. Screaming. Uh, all right. Thanks. So for Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas. Oh, by the way, don't forget, we are on social media. You can go to the Morning Combat YouTube channel. We have a Morning Combat Instagram, just Morning Combat with a K. You can follow both of us on Twitter as well as Instagram and beyond that. So until next time, appreciate you all watching. For Malka, for Showtime, for Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas. May all of your gains be loyal.